Have you prayed but not received an answer? Or needed God's touch but not felt His presence? If so, then you can relate to Habakkuk. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at the prophet who confronted God with these questions and came away trusting and praising Him even more. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Courage When Failure Defeats You, here's David. Well, we all need courage, don't we? And we need it more perhaps now than ever in the past. Not because uh, we have this uh, formidable, seeable enemy in front of us, but because we have ideologies all around us and we don't know what to do with them. Uh, we stand in the presence of God. We stand on the Word of God. We stand strong on the promises. But every day there's something new that uh, gets into our lives, and if we're not careful, into our minds, and then without preparation into our hearts. How do we live a courageous life when all around us there's so many reasons to be discouraged? Well, here's what I want you to know. You're not the first one to ever ask that question. And all of the people we're studying in this series, every single one of them, they faced the same sort of problems. And they had to either sit down or stand up. And Habakkuk was one of the great stand-up people of the Bible. And his statement of uh, confidence in God is, I think, the greatest in, in the Bible. And, and it's certainly worth memorizing, holding it in your heart so that when the moment comes, you can say with him, no matter what, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to walk with him. I trust him. He's my truth. He's my solid uh, standing in life. I, I, I mentioned to you over and over again that I've chosen these passages to share with you at this time because these are some of the most encouraging passages I have ever studied in all the years I've been teaching the Bible. They aren't the only ones. There's more. I, maybe we should have volume two of this, but um, these are great passages that I think will really bring strength to your life. I'm glad you're listening. I hope you'll get the study guide and uh, go even deeper and discuss this with others. There's a CD package you can get from davidjeremiah.org. And at the end of the program, I'll tell you about a special resource that we have available during the month of February that goes hand-in-hand hand with the teaching we're sharing right now. But let's get back to part two of uh, Courage When Failure Defeats You. Habakkuk says, God, your people Israel are violating your holy law. Why don't you do something? And God doesn't answer for a long time. And finally, when he answers, he says, all right, Habakkuk, I'll do something. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans and use them as my rod of judgment against the people of Israel. And Habakkuk could not believe what he heard. Habakkuk's question gets answered, and the answer is worse than anything he could have imagined. Have you ever cried out to God and God finally answers and you almost wish you hadn't prayed? Well, quadruple that feeling, and you will get close to the anguish in Habakkuk's soul when he finally heard from his God. The prophet had asked God to do something about the wickedness among the Jewish nation, and God answered that he would do just that. God said, I'll raise up the nation of the Chaldeans. God told Habakkuk that judgment was about to begin against Israel, and that judgment would be carried out by the Chaldean nation. It is impossible for me to paint a word picture 
of the despair and the unbelief that filled Habakkuk when God finally answered his prayer. He was in much worse shape than he was before. You see, the Chaldeans were the most wicked nation in the world. They were so wicked that when God called the prophet Jonah to go and evangelize them, Jonah went AWOL. And if you remember that story, apart from his special recovery from the whale, the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to that nation was because they were so wicked and as a good Orthodox Jew, he hated them. And he knew that if he went and preached the gospel, some of them would get saved and he didn't want that to happen. That's how bad this culture was. The Chaldeans were a cruel, brutal nation. When they would go to war against nations and soldiers from the other armies thought they would fall into the hands of the Chaldeans, they would immediately commit suicide, which was far better than to fall into the brutal, cruel hands of the Chaldean nation. And God said, Habakkuk, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans and they will punish Israel for their disobedience. Think of it now. A nation far worse than Israel being chosen by God as the means of punishment against his people. Can you imagine why Habakkuk was scratching his head? What are you up to? And of course, God did exactly that. We call it the Babylonian captivity. For the Chaldeans are the Babylonians. God said, Habakkuk, my son, I have heard your cry against the wickedness of my people, and I will judge them, and my instrument of judgment will be the Chaldean nation. You can almost hear Habakkuk say in his heart, I wish I hadn't asked. We go from perplexing problems to powerful principles. Notice verses 12 and 13. Habakkuk responds to God again. And this time, this is what he says. He's questioning God now. He's trying to figure this out. He's saying, Lord God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person that is more righteous than he? You see what he's saying? He says, Lord, why would you do this? Habakkuk hears the Lord and he hears the answer to his first question and he is dumbfounded. And the answer is worse than the question. Why would a holy God judge his nation by using another nation that was 30 times more wicked than they were? And all the prophet can do at this time of despair is to concentrate his thoughts on the nature of God. He reviews the God that he knows. He doesn't understand what God is doing and there are some things about his God that he knows and so he begins to review the things that he knows. Just a couple of things. He knows God is eternal. God was here before all of this. He'll be here after all of this. He says, are you not from everlasting, O my Lord God? He knows that God is holy. He can't put together what he's hearing with God's holiness, but he affirms the holiness of God. God is holy, O Lord, my God, my holy one. Later on in the text, he says, your eyes are purer than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. What do we do? 
when we're caught in the swamp of imponderable things. What do you do when you're in the midst of a situation and frankly, even when you hear from God, it doesn't make any sense. What is God up to? You see, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. We get in on the story down about the first level. God's on the 25th floor. We're trying to figure out down here what's going on up here and we can't. We know in our heart that it's probably okay, but we sure wish we could get a better look at it. And in the midst of all of that, what do we do? I'll tell you what I've learned to do. When I'm in a situation where I don't know what's going on, I try to concentrate on the things I know. When I was sick and I didn't know what was going on, I concentrated on the fact that I knew I had a good God. That he never allows anything in his children's life that doesn't have a purpose. I concentrated on the power of God. That's a good one to concentrate on when you're in a weakened condition. I concentrated on the love and mercy and justice of God and his grace. And over and over again, I thanked him for the one attribute that I appreciate more than any other, and that is the long-suffering patience of Almighty God. Were it not for that, where would we be? I remember telling you some years ago about an experience I had at Hume Lake when I would go up there to preach in the summer. I have wonderful memories of Hume Lake because I have 27 stitches in one leg from a motorbike that I turned over up in the mountains. I was riding and I flipped it over while I was jumping streams on it and cut my leg open. And then I've got Honda rash spots on my back from another experience I had where I turned the bike over on the pavement. So I don't ride bikes anymore. I just... (laughs) But one of the things I love to do is go up into the mountains and just walk around. And in the mountains, in some of the places around Hume Lake, there are swamps. I mean, just kind of places where the water has come. And, you know, I discovered that you can get across a swamp if you look for the dry places. Have you ever noticed that? The water kind of covers it. And every once in a while, up out of the water, there's a dry place. And if you can put one foot here and another foot here, you can see your way through the swamp. And that's the picture I have of this situation. When you're in the swamp of the imponderables, You find the dry ground of the principles you know about God and you walk from one to the other till you get to the other side. That's the only way you'll make it. If you try to say in your heart, I can't do anything or go anywhere or relate to any situation until I have all this figured out, I'm afraid you're in for a long, long time in the swamp. But the way you get out of the swamp of the imponderables is you walk on the high ground until you get to the other side. So now Habakkuk has some perplexing questions and he's got some powerful principles and I don't have time to finish all of the discussions between him and God, but I want you to go to the third chapter of this prophecy and see where he ends up. He has perplexing problems. He's come up with some powerful principles, but now he's going to enter into some persistent praise. And I love these verses at the end of this prophecy probably as much as any of the passages in the Bible. After he gets done with his dialogue with God, he still doesn't have this all figured out. He doesn't know for sure where he's going to be. Think about this now. If the Chaldeans are coming on Israel, then more than likely Habakkuk's going to be victimized by their coming on Israel as everyone else. He could lose everything he has. He could be destroyed in the ravishing marching of the Chaldean armies. But he's okay with that because he's come now to this pinnacle of this chapter. And I want you to read with me as I read these words. 
Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. Wow. One of the distinctive characteristics of the book of Habakkuk is that while the word Selah, watch this now, appears in the Psalms 70 times, it only appears once outside of the Psalms, and that is here in this book. Now, have you ever been reading the Psalms and you get to the end of the Psalm and it says Selah? So you read it, but you have no idea what it means. Well, welcome to the company. Lots of folks have been trying to figure out what Selah means for a long time, and no one knows exactly what it means, except it is a musical note, which probably means this is to be set to the instrumentation of music. It is a key that when you see that word, music's hanging around somewhere. And some believe it means that the words that are written are to be sung as a song. Now go back in your Bibles and go down to the very end of this chapter and notice the last little phrase. You see what it says? To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. I believe that this last paragraph became a hymn. Selah, stringed instruments. And that at the end of his dialogue with Almighty God, Habakkuk broke out into praise. And the words of his praise are the words of this hymn. He said, Lord God, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and there's not any fruit on my vines, and the labor of the olive may fail, and there's no food in the field, and the flock is cut off, and there's no herd in the stalls, Yet I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord my God. I will joy in the God of my salvation. William Barclay in his commentary on Habakkuk says that this expression in the Hebrew literally says, I will spin around in the joy of my God. He's gone through the swamp. He's on the other side. And he's saying, you know what? In spite of all that could happen, Nothing can happen to the most important thing in my life, and that is my God. And I will rejoice, and I will give thanks to him. I wish I could have been there to hear him sing, and I'm surprised that no one has grabbed this hymn and turned it into a contemporary song. Maybe some of our musicians will do it, because it is a powerful affirmation. One of the best ways to instill truth into the heart of a person and into the conscience of an individual or a nation is to set that truth to music, to incorporate it into a great hymn. So Habakkuk sets his poem to music, dedicated to the chief singer, picks out one of his own stringed instruments, and gets up in front of his people and starts to lead them in praise. Hallelujah. This is the cry of faith in this chapter that we have seen before. If you've been following the thread through this series... This is the three Hebrew children telling Nebuchadnezzar that whether he throws them in the fire or not, they serve their God, not his gods. This is Old Testament Job crying out in his misery and distress, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
Habakkuk's worship recorded here in chapter 3 is transcendent of the circumstances. He goes through the very essentials of life. It's the fig tree and all of the rest. In other words, if my whole world comes unglued, if I lose everything that I have, I have already made my decision. I will praise and worship Almighty God. I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, I want to leave with you three applications before we close our Bibles. First application for all of us. When you think God doesn't hear you, he's always very near you. Don't ever forget that. Habakkuk thought God had forgotten all about him and about all of his problems. He was crying out to God because of the indifference of the people. Heaven seemed silent, but all along God had his plan in place. He didn't begin to respond to the sin of Israel when Habakkuk started to cry out to him. God already knew what he was going to do. Even when his prophet felt forgotten, God was in control. You may not think God cares about your problem, but he does. And even now, because you are his child, he is working in your behalf. Your prayers will draw you into his plan and help you understand what he is doing in due time. Never stop praying on the basis of your feelings. Your feelings will betray you every time. When you think God doesn't hear, he's always very near. Number two, when you don't know what to do, remember who you know. When you don't know what to do, remember who you know. Habakkuk's soliloquy about God is the key to this whole book. He knew God, and because he knew God, he could work his way through the circumstances that he didn't understand. Habakkuk teaches us this important lesson. You worship the one you trust, and you trust the one you know. Habakkuk knew his God, and because of that, he could trust him when he did not understand what he was doing. Probably the greatest impact missionary of all of history is the man we know as Hudson Taylor. He was a remarkable man. He's considered the father of modern faith missions. There are two volumes on the life of Hudson Taylor that have been given to us by his daughter-in-law, or we wouldn't know very much about him. These are the two greatest works on missionary activity that have ever been written. The two books, The Growth of a Soul and the other, The Growth of a Work of God, reveal to us the heart of Hudson Taylor. A third book, which is more popular, and I have read, as many of you have, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, kind of gives you some of the distilled work of the other two books. In his later years, Hudson Taylor's son and daughter-in-law traveled extensively with him. And in one of the books, they wrote that Hudson Taylor would be traveling over a hard cobblestone road for many hours in a cart, had no springs, and was very uncomfortable. And after a day's journey, they would arrive at last, late at night, at a Chinese inn. They would endeavor to obtain a little corner in a room for their father. Usually the Chinese inns were made up of large rooms where everybody slept in the same room. They would always ask for a private place for Hudson because he was so aged and so frail. But every morning without fail, every morning just before dawn, they would hear the scratching of a match and then see the lighting of a candle. Hudson Taylor would be up early worshiping God. 
His goal in his life was always to be up worshiping God when the sun came up. Every morning he would worship his God. He testified in the writings of his life that the one thing that sustained him as he faced all of the many challenges and pressures that were placed upon him by his peers, in his words, the one thing that gave me an even gate through it all was the fact that every morning before the sun came up, I was worshiping God. In worshiping God, he found the strength and the power and the energy that made a mark upon his world. Hudson Taylor knew that once you don't know what to do, you remember who you know. If you want to be able to navigate the course of this world and all the uncertainties of it, none of us knows what that means. Uh, We, for the first time as a nation, have the threat of terrorism hanging over us, and it could touch any one of us. But the way you get through all of this is you build a relationship with God so that when things that you can see start to fall apart, the things you can't see hold you together. Number three, when you can't see God in your problems, you will discover him in your praise. What a wonderful truth this is. In the Evangel magazine, a man by the name of J.K. Gresset writes about another man named Samuel who settled on a farm in the Arizona desert with his wife and his children. One night, a fierce storm struck with rain and hail and high wind. At daybreak, feeling sick and fearing what he might find, Samuel went out to survey the loss. The hail had beaten the garden and the truck patch into the ground. The house was partially unroofed. The hen house had blown away and dead chickens were scattered all over the place. Destruction and devastation was the entire scene. While standing there dazed and evaluating the mess and wondering about the future, he heard a stirring in the lumber pile that was the remains of the hen house. A rooster was climbing up through the debris, and he didn't stop climbing until he had mounted the highest board on the pile. And that old rooster was dripping wet, and most of his feathers were blown away. But as the sun came over the eastern horizon, he flapped his bony wings, and he proudly crowed. (laughs) That old wet bear rooster could still crow when he saw the morning sun. And like that rooster, our world may be falling apart, and we may have lost everything, but if we trust in God we'll be able to see the light of God's goodness and pick ourselves up out of the rubble and sing the Lord's praise from the highest place. Praise his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I I wish I could say, all of you who are encouraged by this passage of Scripture, raise your hand. I see those hands. Yeah, we all were, weren't we? This was really a a moment of... uh, well, maybe, uh, maybe the change, maybe a, a point in life where we say, okay, Habakkuk, thank you. Thank you for giving me the courage to face the things I'm facing right now. We have a great God. Uh, he never promised it would be easy. And frankly, if you're an American uh, living in this country all of your life, uh, you've been pretty blessed and had it pretty easy. So now it's getting harder. 
So you don't quit. You, 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 you stand up in the power of God, and you meet the challenges, and make sure you honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Habakkuk would say amen to that, I promise you. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about how to have courage when you're disappointed by your friends. I'm telling you, um, there's not one of us who are in public ministry or even most of us in our lives who haven't had moments when somebody we thought was with us, we found out wasn't with us. And they hurt us, and they disappointed us, and they discouraged us. From Second Timothy tomorrow, we're going to talk about courage when your friends disappoint you. But I told you at the beginning of the program, there's a book I want you to have. It's the book by Rob Morgan called The Jordan River Rules, filled with strategies to help you during times like this. It goes right along with the messages I've been giving, and you can have your copy of this hardback gift book for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of February. Thank you for your support. Ask for the book when you send your gift. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How are you being blessed by Turning Point? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Jordan River Rules. Ten God-given strategies for moving forward. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Courage to Conquer here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Construction on the Eiffel Tower in Paris began in 1887 and was completed two years later. I have seen an art poster that shows six photographs taken from the same vantage point during the construction. The first photo shows the foundation. 
The last photo shows the completed tower, and the four photos in between show it getting gradually taller, one piece of iron at a time. The poster reminds me that growth takes time, but growth will happen if we persevere faithfully, one step and choice at a time. God promises that He will complete the good work He began in us through Christ Jesus. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to grow on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.